Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. This year has gone by incredibly quickly, but it's always nice to pause and take stock. What's something you're proud of in 2024 so far? What's something you still want to accomplish this year? I know I'm guilty of falling into a routine and not always thinking about the bigger picture, but as the great Ferris Bueller once said, life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop and look around once in a while, you can miss it. So it's crucial to take a moment to celebrate your wins and make adjustments for the rest of the year. Therapy can help you contextualize your progress and set achievable goals for the next six months. As you surely know by now, it's not only for people who have experienced major trauma. Therapy is helpful in all kinds of ways, including learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. If you've been considering trying therapy, check out BetterHelp. It's fully online and was specifically designed to be flexible and customizable to your schedule. To get started, just fill out a brief questionnaire that matches you up with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Take a moment. Visit BetterHelp.com FilmDaily today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash film daily. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Wednesday, November 20th, 2019. On today's episode, we're going to talk about the latest film and TV news. In our feature presentation, we're going to have some word from Damon Lindelof on answering all our burning questions about the Robert Redford administration in Watchmen. So you will want to not miss that. This is Slash Film Editor-in-Chief Peter Soretta. Joining me on his podcast is Slash Film Weekend Editor Brad Oman. Hey, that's me. And writer Chris Evangelista. Hello, folks. Okay, so we have a bunch of news to get into. A lot of Star Wars news, but let's start off on the other side of the galaxy. Let's start off with Star Trek. Uh, yesterday, I guess, on the podcast, you guys were talking about how Paramount uh, doesn't want to take risks anymore. And, uh, you know, Paramount has Star Trek, this franchise. J.J. Abrams was toying with the idea of doing another Star Trek, but it doesn't look like that's going to happen. It also doesn't look like Quentin Tarantino is going to take that home anytime soon. But they have found a new captain of the Enterprise. Chris, who is it? It's me. Sorry, everyone. I'm leaving my post to direct Star Trek yeah. 4. It, it, it's a bird. <laughs> <laughs> um, it is Noah Hawley, who uh, directed Lucy in the Sky, which got terrible reviews and bombed. But he also created the FX series Fargo based on the film. And he directed, uh, he created Legion. 
So I guess based on the strengths of those two shows and not his featured debut, he's being handed the Star Trek franchise. I, I never saw Lucy in the Sky. Did either of you see, see that movie? I, uh, I actually didn't even realize it came out. <laughs> I have yet to see it. I was I was going to see it at TIFF, and then everyone said it was awful, so I didn't go out of my way to see it. <laughs> I love Fargo. I think if I was going to list the top ten TV shows of the last decade, which we may have to do for this podcast, uh, <laughs> that I think Fargo would be up there for me. Uh, and while I didn't... I didn't continue on with Legion. I did admire the style and just how bold and interesting uh, what Noah brought to that series. So, I mean, bringing J.J. Abrams in to direct Star Trek was kind of a bold choice at the time. Uh, Now it seems obvious because, you know, he's moved on to Star Wars. Uh, What do you guys think of Noah Hawley with Star Trek? Like, do you think, like, he's a good choice? Um, I mean, possibly it's <laughs> to, to doing a TV show like Fargo and Legion is much different than doing a film franchise like Star Trek. Um, I think maybe he has the right, uh, I don't know, style for it, maybe to, to dig into maybe the weirder side of, uh, Star Trek, but, uh, I don't know. It's, it's unclear. Chris, do you have any interest in a Noah Hawley Star Trek movie? Uh, I don't know. I mean, to be uh, to be fair, I'd had no interest in a J.J. Abrams Star Trek movie either. And then I really liked that first film. So, you know, I'm willing to be uh, surprised. I, I, at, at this point, I would say no. But if it turns out to be good, I'll be happy. Now, I know they're calling this Star Trek Four. Does that mean that this is going to be a continuation of that J.J. Abrams universe? Yes. So um, if if you haven't been keeping up with what's going on out there, listeners, um, at one point, um, S.J. Clarkson was going to direct the, offic- the, the, the previous version of Star Trek IV, which was going to bring back um, Chris Hemsworth as Chris Pine's character's father, Captain Kirk's father. Uh, we saw Chris Hemsworth in the in the J.J. Abrams Trek per, per, uh, prologue. Uh, and then right as things were gearing up, uh, both Hemsworth and Pine walked off the project, citing um, uh, salary negotiations. They they weren't getting paid what they wanted to get paid. And a little while later, Hemsworth also said he did not like the script. Um, so their departures, especially Pine's, since you know he's the lead of the, the this film franchise, put that project on hold. At which point, S.J. Clarkson left, and it just seemed like. Star Trek four was dead, um, but now it's apparently back on track. And according to the report, this is supposed to be a continuation of, you know, the Chris Pine, Zachary Quinto, et cetera, et cetera, crew. So I guess they worked something out with Chris Pine to bring him back. Um, they don't mention anything about Chris Hemsworth. So I'm guessing that that idea is dead at this point. So I guess we're going to get like a whole new story. I feel like if you have Noah Hawley involved, you're not going to get like a traditional space adventure. The film. I feel like it has to do with like multiverses and weird alien planet. Like it's going to be different. I mean, they already built in the alternate timeline and stuff yeah. into this franchise. So he definitely has stuff to play around with there. Okay. Let's uh, take a trip to the other side of the galaxy to a place far, far away and a long time ago. Let's talk about Star Wars. Uh, Let's, uh, there's been a lot of Star Wars talk on this podcast, I know, yesterday, uh, but it, it's just all hitting at the same time. Uh, Disney, with their handling of The Mandalorian is interesting because that first episode, 
has a big reveal at the end of the episode. And that big reveal is basically the, the plot of the series. So the whole episode is kind of like a prequel to what the series is about. And that reveal for the first week, everybody was like, let's keep it, you know, secret. Let's like not try to spoil people because, you know, there's a large international audience that has not seen this series. But uh, Disney has decided that, you know, this is no longer a spoiler. So, Brad, what do we know? Yes. So, uh Obviously, if you haven't seen The Mandalorian, you should just go away for a little bit. Uh, but at the end of The Mandalorian, we are introduced to a character that fans have come to call Baby Yoda because it is a very small, childlike version of the character Yoda from Star Wars. But Yoda has not been designated as a certain kind of species by anybody uh, responsible for creating Star Wars canon yet, at least as far as we know for sure. Uh, so that's what we're referring to this character as, Baby Yoda. He's the uh, the asset that the Mandalorian was tasked with finding as kind of this uh, shady underground job. And it's who IG-11 was also after. And as we learned in the second episode, there's some other bounty hunters who are also after it. So a lot of people apparently want this little guy. Um, and the introduction to him was a huge surprise because it hadn't leaked that this, this character was going to be um, a younger sort of infant version of uh, Yoda's creature species. Uh, we we had heard a while back that this was going to be a plot element, but not that this character was going to be like this. And so now that it's been revealed and this character is accompanying the Mandalorian, uh, it's a, you know, a, a part of the show that we kind of need to talk about in the open. And thankfully, the official Star Wars social media account uh, on Twitter basically posted an image uh, and a clear reference to the character kind of making it open season to be able to talk about it in the open because for a while a lot of people were being pretty respectful about not spoiling it because it was the the final reveal at that episode and they didn't want to spoil it for anybody um the people that this kind of hurts the most unfortunately are overseas watchers who don't even have access to disney plus yet uh so it'll be kind of difficult for them to navigate the internet the internet and see things about the mandalorian without learning about this character and that detail but at the end of the day, while it is a cool thing to discover for yourself at the end of that first episode, it's a very basic part of the the plot. And so the the more intriguing mystery is where where this character came from, uh, why people are after it, and all, all this kind of stuff. So while it is a bit of a spoiler, it's it's maybe not as big of a deal. Yeah. Do you think like people that are seeing these images, do you think like they think they could think it's a big spoiler because they actually think it's Yoda? Uh, potentially, you know, I, I think maybe it's just the, the reveal of that, that a character like that maybe is in the, in the series is also a spoiler. You know, yeah. there's just things that certain people don't want to know about, but it's that difficult thing of trying to make everybody happy. And, you know, certain people don't even want to know the most basic of details about something before they watch it. And unfortunately we can't. Yeah. The time. Yeah. Our, so from, our, here our... On, from here on out, our coverage we may be openly referencing this character in headlines and using his image uh, in uh, on the front page, but uh, we will keep spoilers uh, about the story and all that regard to uh, within the article itself. Yeah, spoiler phobia is real, especially in 2019. And the the way that we the line that we have decided on the site to handle it is if something's in the marketing, we can openly discuss it because Disney and the filmmakers are putting it out there. Um, so I think that's the, the line that we have to die on at this point. And now there, there is stuff in trailers. Sometimes studios go too far and show too much. And uh, luckily, 
we get early screenings. We uh, we know stuff that we don't report on, and that helps inform what we cover and how we cover it. And thankfully, there's times that we won't, you know, cover the things that are in the marketing because we know something about it. Uh, but I, I get that's just how we're going to do it. Sadly, them trying to keep Baby Yoda a secret might prevent us from getting any Baby Yoda plushes or Funkos or, you know, I want all the Baby Yoda things, Brad. Oh, believe me, I do too. But because they kept it secret, uh, unfortunately, it doesn't look like we'll get any of merchandise featuring the character before Christmas. Um, Lucasfilm and Disney were very um, cooperative with Jon Favreau wanting to keep this a secret, which meant holding this back from merchandising. And all the the various companies who make merchandise tied to movies and whatnot usually find out a lot of details long before uh, the general public does, even before a trailer is out or anything like that. And if they were going to make Baby Yoda merchandise, uh, they would have had to have found out about this months ago. So unfortunately, that means there probably won't be any time to streamline a toy to production just because of all the hoops that have to be jumped through to, you know, test it and get it approved and manufactured and sent around and all that jazz. But either way, I'm sure fans will be happy to get their hands on a toy version of this character whenever it becomes available. Did they make the right decision, Brad? Because I feel like Disney could be sweeping up. Not that they need more money, but they are losing out on so much money right now not having those Baby Yoda toys available in, th- in stores. I mean, sure, they're, they're missing out on it now, but they'll get it as soon as it comes out. Like, it's not like someone's going to be like, well, this didn't come out at Christmas, so I'm not buying this ever. You don't think that, like, time can go by and, like, our, our interest in a Baby Yoda merchandise can wane? I mean, this guy is, is adorable and cute. And unless, you know, that changes and George Lucas turns him into something else in a special edition of The Mandalorian, uh, I, I don't think that's going to be a problem. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yesterday I was away. That's why Ben hosted the podcast. And I was at this event that was held at the Porsche Experience Center in Los Angeles, something I didn't even know existed. Um, but they were holding a Women of Lucasfilm, What Drives You panel. And uh, this is – Porsche has a deal with Disney and Lucasfilm. Doug Chang, the, the concept designer, created a new spacecraft along with Porsche. I don't know. It's ridiculous. Uh, Doug Chang, who's not a woman, who is a man, but they're posting this – panel about the, the women of Lucasfilm. It's it's all very confusing. Basically, it was a lot of people, including everyone from the president of Lucasfilm, Kathleen Kennedy, to the second unit director of Rise of Skywalker, to uh, some executives, some story group people, so a director of development, uh, Michelle, who is the producer and SVP of live action and development and production. Uh, to Deborah Chow, the director of The Mandalorian and the upcoming Obi-Wan series. And uh, the, the conversation was really good. Uh, it was a lot about the trials and tribulations of being a female filmmaker in Hollywood these days, and especially trying to make big-scale you know, sci-fi Star Wars films and TV shows. And it was very interesting. Uh, not a lot of stuff that we would normally cover on the site, but... At one point, the new technology used on the Mandalorian got brought up, and that took like a 15 to 20-minute sidetrack in the conversation as everybody on stage gushed at this new technology. So I wanted to to share some of the quotes here uh, from from this conversation because this is interesting. Like, you know, we had heard all throughout the production of 
the Mandalorian, or I had heard that like they were using this very high tech, game changing technology to film this show. And I think even Brad, I when we were talking about the second episode, I was talking with you, and I was like, I I've watched these episodes multiple times each, and I'm looking at the backgrounds, and I can't tell that they're using anything untraditional. Like it looks like they're in real places and you know whatever uh so anyways uh, here is some quotes from that kathleen kennedy said that her and john favreau went into disney and said this is something that we would want to try and they said what exactly is it and we said we're not exactly sure we have no idea what this is going to cost and we have never built anything with the technology and uh she basically revealed that this technology is called stagecraft uh, that's the name that ILM has given it, and it's basically a projection system on screens. And the real innovation is that when you move the camera inside the space, the parallax changes. So suddenly you're in an environment that actually begins to behave in the same way it would in an actual 3D environment like the one we are in today. Uh, she went on to say that what this means is, quote, if you want a big establishing shot in Iceland – you don't want to take 700 people, spend four months prepping a set because you only want to do the establishing shot. And with this, you can bring back everything to shoot interiors on a stage. That becomes very meaningful and big, huge projects and small projects. So the interesting thing with The Mandalorian, the fact that we tested this technology inside of television and not on the big screen was the way we felt that we could take a big risk and not a giant risk. Uh, it was really – oh, she also told the story that she b- brought an executive from the Walt Disney Company down to the production because, uh, you know, it's, it's a really complicated thing to describe. Like, they have not released any video footage of, like, what this whole system looks like. So I, I'm very interested to see what it looks like. But I guess one of the executives from Walt Disney Company came down to the production and uh, to, to check it out and see how it was working. And quote – this is a quote from Kathleen Kennedy – And he stepped in and he looked around and said, John, I thought you weren't going to build anything. And he had no idea he was standing on a virtual set. That's how unbelievable it is. Um, She did go on to explain that, you know, this technology can basically bring any place in the world or create any environment in the world and put it in a soundstage. But it's not easy. You know, uh, quote, this really requires a filmmaker like Deb who plans. This is not some somebody who's winging it. You absolutely need to plan ahead because in essence, what you're doing is you're taking a lot of post-production and you're putting in pre-production, uh, unquote. So you can read my whole article as a ton more quotes, explains more about what this technology is and what, what can be done with it. And Deborah Chow explains that she might be using it on the Obi-Wan TV series, but it, it really seems like a game changer to me because now that you don't have to travel to the deserts of wherever to get, you know, to base a shot, you can just film it in a warehouse in Manhattan beach. Uh, it seems like you would be able to accomplish bigger scope things on a much lower budget. And uh, also there's some interesting talk there. Uh, I'm not a big techie. I don't really know. Um, how things are made like led panels but the the panels on here the leds it, kathleen kennedy talks about how they have to actually grow these crystals and the process of like putting them together and how like it's so complicated and so it takes so many years to to create the the stuff that is used in this technology it, it's very interesting i think people might be interested in that but um 
Brad, now that you've heard all this, I know you you've you've seen both episodes so far. Like, are you amazed? Because th- this is also they clarified that you know on Rogue One and Solo they use screens around spaceships to give light and shadows onto the performers, but those screens were CG'd out. The stuff that we are seeing on screen in The Mandalorian is the screens. We are seeing the screens on screen, like in those, like we're not seeing like you know a CG version of them, like that's done after the fact. Yeah, that's kind of mind blowing to me, and it, I really want to kind of witness it in person and like be on a set and see what it's like, <laughs> especially it, especially if somebody walked you know onto a set and looked around and thought it was an actual set that was built around them. Um, I'd, I'd really like to see what this looks like in action. So I, I hope that they release a feature at some point that shows how they did it. Yeah, I, I know at Sundance a few years back, ILM X Lab was there and they had this demo. That w- that did did you end up doing this, Brad? The uh, no, I I didn't get to do that. I I don't think at Sundance. Yeah, you stepped into this room and it, it had projections on all sides, and it was just projections with like laser projectors. But I had like these like three D glasses that I put on that had motion ca- uh, control. Uh, balls on them and basically the camera tracked where I was in the room and I was in Tatooine and there was R2 and C-3PO and uh, whatever and as I moved around the projections changed and it really felt like I was in a different world like even more so it felt way like I would say like a hundred times more incredible than VR feels and VR feels kind of incredible um so i'm wondering if it kind of feels like that or not but um yeah i want to see how this is done i know john favreau is one of those filmmakers that likes to use this advanced technology but he doesn't like to show it until you know after the fact he wants viewers to you know be immersed in the story and not be thinking about how how it was made and you know the gadgets and gadgets that were, were used to create it so uh hopefully after the eight episodes air we'll we'll get some look at uh, the technology used to create the show but um okay let's move on Kathleen Kennedy is also doing doing the press tour for Star Wars the Rise of Skywalker and she has revealed a little bit on the future of Star Wars what when we might expect the next Star Wars movie and what role John Favreau might play in the future of the series Chris what do we know Right. So Kathleen Kennedy did an interview with Rolling Stone. It's a pretty in-depth interview. You should definitely check it out. And she she goes into a lot of stuff. But um, one of the, the things we're most concerned with here is they ask her point blank, you know, do you know what the next Star Wars movie is going to be after the rise of Skywalker? And she says, no, um, quote, no, we've got various things we're looking at and various ways in which we can begin or not. And she has a, the quote goes on a little longer, but it boils down to she says no. Um, at the same time, THR published a separate report, um, and this is one of those uh, anonymous source things. So you know, take it with a grain of salt. But it, you know, it comes from insiders saying that there's actually a, a Star Wars movie already on the dock for 2022, and if that's true. I would have to imagine Kathleen Kennedy does know what's next and, <laughs> and so on. But um, beyond that, uh, it's also reported that um, John Favreau is going to have a, a big part to play in the future of, of Star Wars in general. Um, Dave Filoni is also going to have a big part to play. So while we don't know what they're doing, we do know they're going to be involved with a lot of Star Wars stuff in the future. And 
Um, the other thing is THR says we'll we'll know what the deal is with this 2022 Star Wars film by January. So I guess they're they're waiting for the 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 Rise of Skywalker to come out, and they want all the focus to be on that. And then once that's out, we're finally going to learn whatever is is going to happen next. Do you think that she's just being cagey? She just—you think it's just that that she just wants to keep the focus on Rise of Skywalker for now? I de- I definitely think it's like a PR thing. She doesn't want to, and that makes a lot of sense. I mean, that movie isn't even out yet. It, it seems premature to be immediately like, ah, what comes next? You know, she wants the focus to be on Rise of Skywalker, as you know, she should, since that's that's their next big thing. So I think it makes sense for her to downplay it. Um, I don't want, I don't think she's like lying per se. I do think, you know, there's a bunch of moving pieces. We don't know a lot about behind the scenes, but uh, if THR is to be believed, we'll know soon enough what is going on here. Plus okay. if they announce it now, then they have to fire the director sooner. <laughs> <laughs> and replace it with the bird. Okay. Uh, <laughs> moving on. Let's talk about J.J. Abrams. Uh, he's been doing some press for Star Wars Rise of Skywalker, and he's talked a little bit about Carrie Fisher's death and how that affected this final film in the Skywalker saga. Brad, what do we know? Well, so uh, Carrie Fisher passed away, unfortunately, uh, a couple years ago, so she wasn't able to shoot any new scenes for The Rise of Skywalker. But we had already heard that J.J. Uh, Abrams was able to utilize footage that was shot uh, from The Force Awakens to basically create new scenes with actual footage of Carrie Fisher that they were able to repurpose for this movie. And apparently the the footage that they have, which uh, will be around eight minutes of footage, according to Carrie Fisher's brother, Todd Fisher, uh, is enough that they didn't really, it didn't have an impact on the story that they would have told for general Leo Organa had Carrie Fisher uh, not passed away. Uh, so Abrams said, quote, there are scenes where she's interacting with other characters in a way that is uncanny. Hopefully, if it works, it'll be an invisible thing. And if you didn't know, uh, you would never know. But we got to tell the story uh, that with Leia that we would have told had Carrie lived. And that's kind of incredible. Um, and this is, it's kind of interesting because it means that there was probably a pretty big change regarding uh, Leia's role in this movie compared to whatever Colin Trevorrow and Derek Connolly had planned. Because after Carrie Fisher had passed away, Colin Trevorrow had said that her death basically caused them to start over from scratch uh, and do something completely different than they had initially planned. And I wonder if that maybe issue was something that caused the eventual creative friction between uh, Lucasfilm and what Trevorrow and Connolly wanted to do or had, or had planned. And maybe Abrams was able to figure out how to do something with Leia that still worked uh, for the story that they wanted to tell. Uh, and oh, that might gel so it, with the story you talked yesterday about how Derek and Colin got a story by credit. And that probably means that the, you know, the loose bits of the story have remained the same, the skeleton of the story. So, like, maybe they were able to save more of that original draft. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm sure I'm sure some of it did. I, I like I said on yesterday's episode, I feel like there's probably just some general brushstrokes that worked simply because of what Abrams wanted to do lining up maybe with the ideas that Trevorrow had already. So, uh, you know, like, unfortunately, like I said, it seems like we might never find that out, but it's interesting to hear that Abrams didn't really feel like he was hindered at all by not having Carrie Fisher present. I think it's a little bit uh, ingenuous, disingenuous to say that this film is the same story that would have come out before her death, because I feel like, 
as much as you can keep her in, you can save the footage and you can keep Princess Le- or uh, General Leia, whatever you want to call her, uh, in the story and she's training Rey or whatever she's doing, you know that there was probably going to be a confrontation between her and Kylo. And there's no way to do that with the footage they have. Right. I mean, I don't. I don't know. I mean, how does a confrontation between Leia and Kylo work? Like, do you mean that they would have fought, or that they would have just had a like a moment where they like talked to each other? I don't know. I feel like they had to come face to face. Like, I feel like this was going to be her movie, right? And I don't know. I, you know, the first movie Han came face to face with them. Uh, second movie Luke kind of came face to face with Kylo uh, using force projection. I feel like this movie was going to lead up to her confrontation with her, her son. But uh, I don't know. Maybe, maybe maybe that is in there. I don't know. I really don't know. Uh, okay, let's talk about our last story for today. And that is a Joker sequel is in the works. And Todd Phillips might also be planning yet another DC character origin movie. Chris, what do we know? So this is a, a three-pronged story. So early this morning, the news broke um, from THR, uh, the Hollywood Reporter, saying that not only is there a Joker sequel in the works, which kind of makes sense, even though I don't think the movie calls for it, but the movie made a billion dollars. It's a huge hit. It's probably going to get Oscar nominations. So their report stated that not only is there a Joker sequel in the works with Todd Phillips, Todd Phillips also went to um, Warner Brothers chairman Toby Emmerich and pitched him on this idea of making a whole bunch of DC character origin movies in the same sort of style as Joker. And Toby Emmerich didn't like the idea of a bunch of movies, but he agreed to at least one. So that was the initial report. Uh, A few hours later, Deadline had a report of their own stating that there's not a Joker sequel in the works and there is not another DC movie in the works from Todd Phillips. Uh, And then Variety updated uh, something themselves and they added that while the DC, the separate DC origin movie isn't happening, there definitely is talk of a Joker sequel. So they sort of like split the difference there saying the story was partially correct, but not entirely correct. So this all boils down to I have no idea what's happening. So, is there a Joker sequel? <laughs> I uh, from the, from the sound of it, from Variety's report, and I tend to think Variety is probably the most accurate of all three of these outlets. It sounds to me like there's definitely talk of a Joker sequel, and I can definitely believe that the movie's a huge hit. Like I said, so uh, I'm sure. Warner Brothers has definitely had a meeting or two with Todd Phillips about doing another Joker movie. But beyond that, it doesn't sound like it's official yet. It doesn't sound like uh, everyone has signed on yet. There's no script in the works yet. And there definitely does not seem to be a separate origin story for another DC character in the works. Interesting. Uh, Brett, what do you make of this? Do you think, like they have to make a Joker sequel. I think that's inevitable. But do you think Warner Brothers is going to give Todd Phillips more room to play in the DC universe? I'm personally just hoping that they just do a similar version of this movie, but set it in Thailand. Hmm. What? That's a Hangover Two joke. Oh, yeah. I I, I kind of forgot if Hangover Two even happened. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was a thing that was just like Hangover One, but it was in Thailand. <laughs> 
Okay, let's move on to our feature presentation. Uh, I think we got to go quicker with this than we normally do because uh, we are running out of time. But uh, Chris, you got to speak to Damon Lindelof, the executive producer of Watchmen, and you, you know, you asked only the important questions, and the questions were all revolving around Robert Redford's administration. So, what did you find out? Yeah, so I urge everyone to go to slashfilm.com and read this because it's a very lengthy uh, report, and Damon Lindelof's uh, answers are very amusing, and they're they're all in character within the Watchmen universe. So basically, he was answering as if he was someone working within the Redford administration uh, and giving us the scoop on Robert Redford's presidency. And I'm not going to run through them all because there's a lot of stuff in here, but just it's it was just amusing in general because like i said this is all played completely straight as if it's a serious thing but it's obviously not and some fun facts um robert redford's current vice president is joe biden but at one point jesse ventura the wrestler actor turned politician was his vp but then he died under mysterious circumstances i guess implying he was (laughs) murdered (laughs) um uh on top of that he he we learn that some form of the MCU, the Marvel Cinematic Universe, exists in the Watchmen universe. But much like the Watchmen comic, since people don't aren't impressed with superhero stuff because superheroes exist, um, they're all pirate movies. So it's like an entire pirate cinematic universe that's just like the MCU and features cast members from the M- MCU, like Scarlett Johansson. Uh, and then there's like an entire list of who starred in what Robert Redford movies <laughs> that the real Robert Redford st- starred in our world, but who, who took them over after Robert Redford became president in the Watchmen universe. So it's, it, it was very amusing. I'm very thankful to Damon Lindelof for, for indulging this very silly idea and taking it very seriously and giving us a lot of background info on the, the fictional Robert Redford Watchmen uh, presidency. And this just goes to show that, he's really thought this all out and like on a really like nerdy level. Like he's, he's actually broken this down as to how this presidency works out, even though we never actually even see it in the show. I just love the idea that Damon Lindelof is taking out time out of his important schedule, of his, his day to answer, you know, what would happen to Sundance if Robert Redford's now president. Right, exactly. <laughs> it's crazy. So, yeah, check that out. The link to that in this is in the show notes, as well as links to all the stories we mentioned on today's podcast. This podcast, Slash from Daily, is published every weekday on iTunes, Google, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. Please feel free to send your feedback, questions, comments, concerns to us at peter at slashfilm.com. And please rate and review this podcast on iTunes. Tell your friends. Spread the word. And we'll see you tomorrow. <laughs>